0: This is a Glass Box Media podcast. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: and welcome to the Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. Uh, and joining me, as ever, it's the lovely Giles Paley Phillips.
3: Well, thank you very much. <laughs> How are you? I'm all right, thanks. <laughs> good. Uh, having a good week? Yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Yeah. been doing a bit of writing.
1: Oh, good. Hmm. Can you tell us what, or is it no, under wraps? Top secret, top secret, like MI five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got it in a brief in a briefcase. Yeah, it, it. It's,
3: if I tell anyone about it, it will probably explode like a Mission Impossible. That's Mission, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, good reason not to tell anyone. Well,
1: well that's yeah. good. You, do, so you're feeling creative.
3: Um, I think it's quite forced, right? But in a sometime, way. Well, I think sometimes you actually just had to get your head. I think I was what, listening to someone recently saying that uh, the advice they got about writing was. Um, you should just write. Yeah. And so... And see thought, what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So good. I thought I'd just, I'd just give it a go. So, yeah. But it's always just nice to um, to do some creative stuff anyway, isn't it? Just to, totally. It makes know. you feel more alive. Mm.
1: Um, so, Giles, can I mention really quickly that I'm doing a live show in London? Please do, Jim. Tell us all and, about it. And uh, I'd love people, our listeners, to come along. If you're into football, so it's a football comedy show. Okay. Uh, with my so b- good friend... Interest. Uh, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, my good friend Dave Bibby, we do some comedy stuff for Yahoo together. Um, it's called Jim and Dave Lost the Dressing Room, and uh, we're taking the show to Edinburgh in August, but um, we're doing a couple of previews in London, and the first one is Wednesday, June the 19th, at the Streatham Space Project, there's a new venue in Streatham Hill. That sounds good. 7.30pm kick-off, and it's an hour of us doing parody football songs, uh, stand-up, sketches, there's a quiz element running throughout it, a bit of audience interaction, uh, and it's loads of fun. It's three quid to come along. Ah, oh, what a bargain. What a bargain. Um, you can get your ticket from, uh, well, if you go to my Twitter account, which is at Jim Daily Comedy, I've pinned it to the top of my profile, but also if you go to the website tinyurl.com forward slash the dressing room, then uh, that will take you to the link at ticket text. Um, so please come along. If you're into football and comedy, Come to the night. It's going to be loads of fun. And I hope to see you there. Uh, and speaking of which, we've got a very
3: creative person on the pod this week. It's we have
1: cartoonist.
3: It, yeah. Mike Dix. It is Mike Dix, who lives in Hove. We went down to Hove to see him. This was now, this was a, a few months back, before I think the last round of votes on Brexit deal may's brexit deal oh. so we did bring that up in the podcast a few times
1: well and mike of course is is well known for his Indeed. Uh, brexit comics yeah and a lot of his twitter activity he runs the trumpton twitter yeah. account which rose to fame a few years ago yeah and uh, a lot of that is very politically
3: motivated yeah as well, so he's so. a satirical cartoonist yeah. i mean he has done some uh, books about him and his dog yeah. as well yeah. which are very funny uh, cartoony um, storybooks which are fantastic as well yeah and, and mike's brilliant company a great company he's very on the button yeah. he's a smart guy especially with all this Brexit stuff yeah.
1: um, and a very interesting guy as well yeah. and some interesting stories into, into
3: how he get it, got into doing what
1: he does yeah
3: and, and, and actually yeah through, through a sort of traumatic period in his life he's, he's come to become a cartoonist and he's you know passionate about um, doing his art and illustration so yeah it's, it's a really good chat it is a good chat and I think we should just get straight into it we certainly so, should so uh,
1: this is Mike Dix on the Blank Podcast <laughs>
2: Interesting what happens with the Greens and um, the Liberals and the Independents. Mm.
3: Whether they will sort of I guess combine well, forces? Yeah, I mean, I find that
2: for the first time in two years, I'm actually a little bit excited about politics mm. because of that split. Because I think there's there's just this, there's this massive group of people that are underrepresented, yeah. yeah, and pilloried, you know, for just kind of being practical. Yeah, <laughs> going yeah. look, capitalism's all right. Yeah, and, but it'd be nice if we were a bit fairer to everybody. Yeah, and then everyone goes, "Oh, you're a disgusting traitor!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because really? just seems really well. Yeah, cent- it's
3: being simple. a moderate or a centrist has become quite a dirty word, hasn't it? In yeah, recent years. Yeah, which is very odd. And but there, there are these. I mean, the thing is, these two car- kind of cartels to the left and the right on there now. That, um, yeah, it's yeah. It hard for people to sort the, of the extremities. Yeah,
2: is I was. I'm always reminded when I do the stuff I do that my political studies teacher many years ago showed a um, diagram of the left and the right and he did it on a line and he said these are the two extremes the left and the right but he said if you think about it as a circle the extremes end up meeting at the bottom yeah they're essentially the same thing they're anarchists essentially want to completely break the system before they try and fix it and then can't yeah and then rely on it all centering again in the
1: end yeah which, yeah. Is, which it does doesn't it it, all, cyclical, it follows
2: right? waves doesn't it It's the older you get and the more you look at this you sort of go this just keeps repeating itself yeah, we have yeah. seen this We've, you know in 1936 we saw it happen in Europe And it's happening again because Mm. they're not wearing uniforms everyone's going it's (laughs) it's not the same we're much more sophisticated now we've got iPhones yeah yeah well Jacob Rees-Mogg kind of wears a uniform doesn't he it's like (laughs) a posh uniform
1: (laughs) pretty close the pinstripes yeah so a lot of your stuff is is political isn't it does that sort of drive a lot of your creativity
2: now yeah I think you um, you go through phases don't you and the stuff that drives me is probably the political stuff and always has been um but it's only recently that I found a way to make any money from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and I, that really pleases me, is that nowadays I pretty much earn my money from a political comic and and that allows me to spend all day on social media doing what I'd have done anyway instead of working <laughs> yeah, and yeah. justify it as work. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's that's quite pleasing. But, uh,
1: but that's, we were saying off air, weren't we, that's kind of... With creativity these days, there are more outlets. You know, you don't have to go down old traditional routes.
2: I, the self-publishing route, the social media. I mean, I, I mean, always in two minds about social media. It can be a terrible place, <laughs> and it can be a lovely place. I kind of worked in digital for years, and uh, um, it, you know, I'm a big proponent of its possibilities, um, but I'm also very aware of the dangers because essentially, essentially, it's just, it, you know, it is what it says. It's society. Online with a wider broadcast opportunity, mm. and what that means is that the bad things in life happen just as quickly, yeah if not quicker um, in that you know the whole clickbait thing of here's a headline I react to that badly here's my narrative off I go tomorrow I'll be angry about something else yeah, yeah. <laughs> and posting about that but at the same time all of my uh, pretty much all of my comics have come out of social media and a lovely community of people that have formed around mm. my world view of politics mm. and um, and I think that's quite a lovely thing
1: really. well I mean you know this whole podcast has kind of always been formed out of your community Giles yeah, which to... is a very nice well I am very jealous of your Twitter <laughs>
2: <thing. laughs>
1: oh, I think uh, it's because you're always
2: lovely whereas I'm quite often <laughs> <lovely>. <laughs>
3: I'm trying to yeah I'm sort of trying to be a proponent of uh, not a proponent a uh, what's the word I'm just Pir- trying a pion, not a pioneer <laughs> an ambassador yeah. an ambassador, yeah, an ambassador nice, of yeah. kind um, I guess <laughs> your just, job title, yeah, or, got, the ambassador but of. But kindness. it's
2: nice that that resonates in that kind of messy world of, and particularly yeah. Twitter. Mm. Which you know can be a terribly nasty place, and, uh, and and actually every time I see one of your tweets come up, I think, well, John's going to say something nice. <laughs> that will be lovely. I'll read that, and then I'll go and get angry with somebody. I think, I
3: think some people are starting to get a little bit angry of me being nice all the time. But yeah, how? I, I, how can well, how? well, I think because well, it's
2: because we all, all know I... we all know sometimes he's a mean guy,
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's sitting there
2: that. going, I really want to bitch about somebody, but I've got to be nice. <laughs> well, I don't here. know if it
3: must sort of <laughs> antagonizes some
1: people. Oh, really? Bit, but, but that says know. more about them than about... Oh, possibly, yeah. I will say, though, that actually last night I deleted Twitter off my phone. Did you? You deleted Twitter. Yeah, I decided I'd just... But it's still online. You haven't deleted it everywhere. It's just. No, it's just, <laughs> just on my phone. My profile's still there. But no, I just felt like maybe I'd take a break from Twitter for a bit and see what happens. I can understand I don't know that. if it's going
3: to work. Yeah, right, and I think we all do need... I think more people need to take breaks from Twitter. I think we all do, probably. Yeah.
1: A friend of mine was
2: telling me yesterday that he... Um, in fact, he, over the years, he occasionally sends me a joke... For Trumpton or, or for the Brexit, and he'll say um, you should you should share this, and I said no, you should share that. You've come yeah, up with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You should share it, and I go no, no, no. I haven't got the guts. And he's <laughs> he's a reader of Twitter. He follows almost all the same accounts as I do. He can discuss what conversations are going on, but he doesn't post. He doesn't.
3: Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. I
2: treat it as a broadcast medium, not a sharing medium yeah it's like i put a picture up there and let people argue about it <laughs> and, and i try to keep out of it unless yeah. i'm in the mood for a fight really um but he, he was he was saying he's just as a fear of putting his head above the parapet and actually stating something about politics mm-hmm. and that he's fearful of the negative comments and i showed him my feed and the things <laughs> that people say about me and, I, and he's going i don't know how you do that um and I, th- and I think sometimes I, do- I don't know how I do no. it. I get very angry about some of the comments that come back at me. Mainly the ones that criticise my artwork. You should have drawn it like this. And, I'm, and I go and look at their profile and look at the pictures of their children they post. So you go, your kids are ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you made them. They're ugly. <laughs> you know? a, yeah, yeah. Political arguments is one thing. And debate. I love starting debates. Yeah. I love people having discussions. But then when you see it, go... You know, it takes about five steps for a Twitter conversation to get to the, yeah. I hate your mother and everything yeah. she stands for. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, get, yeah. What, how did that yeah. happen? Yeah. How can you not have a nuanced conversation about this? And I think it can damage some people. I mean, this yeah. friend of mine was telling me he gets incredibly angry reading his Twitter feed. Yeah, I do as well. And then he has no outlet. To say anything about it, mm. because he refuses so they, to let yeah, himself say not, anything. Yeah, yeah. Whereas no, at it's... least I can diffuse those things with another joke. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, because the character that I've got online, or one of the characters I've got online, is taking the piss out of everything political and hypocritical and pompous. Mm. So when somebody's doing it to me on my timeline, they're fair game. I can go yeah. back yeah, for that. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: So it doesn't get down to personal insults. But I've fallen into that trap a few times. And...
1: So do you, do you, do you feel like you're more a character online than? Yeah, oh yourself. god,
2: and um, I totally think that's the right way to handle social media as well. Is that you know, there's a, it's like I say, there's this lovely Giles Paley Phillips character, <laughs> we all know he's not like that, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just playing this lovely nice guy, he's been exposed <laughs> on the podcast. But it it, when it came, I tell you where it came from, is my um, it's my grandmother really. when I um, she's gonna explain why I'm not, by the way, I'm really horrible, <laughs> no, Here, no, no, no. How we all out. know why that is, it's all on the way, um, <laughs> <Sorry>. they. <laughs> Years ago, when when um, I think everybody expected me to always be good at public speaking, but the first biggest opportunity I had to do it was at my wedding when I was 20. And I trained my best man, worked with my best man for ages, He was incredibly nervous about speaking. And I didn't bother doing Did any rehearsing. Him? Yeah, because yeah. I was so confident that that <laughs> would be. And I turned up with my little cards to do mine and completely cocked it up. Oh. I was nervous. I genuinely dropped the cards and didn't make a joke about that. <laughs> and, and, and it was awful. I was nervous and stuttering and everything. And I went to my grandmother, who was sitting right in the front row, and she was a Labour politician all of her life and a, a great orator. And I said to her, Gran, I'm really sorry about that. I think you let, I let you down. And she said, yeah, you did. And she said, and I'll tell you why. Because when I make a speech as a politician, people are not judging me, May Diggs, they're judging um, the politician that they're expecting to see in oh, yeah. front of them. They have certain expectations. And as long as I kind of hit those basic expectations, that's the character that they're responding to, not me. Yeah. And I can hide behind that and just play that role. Oh, yeah. And once you, once you figure that one out, you kind of go, okay, I can do that everywhere. So there's me that's a digital expert. There's me that's an artist. There's me that works in telly and stuff. Um, there's the me that runs the comic, which is different to the me that is runs the Trumpton account, which is very different to the Mike and Scrabble me. Um, yeah. sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes I go off and hide in Mike and Scrabble land, which is, you know, a book about me and my dog. And that community is just adorable. I, yeah. I, there's no arguments in there, about maybe about whether we like cats or dogs. (laughs) As a rule, that that community is a lovely community and the Trumpton community is probably quite an angry but very intellectual community Mm -hmm. and the Brexit comic is another community altogether because it's a slightly different thing. So yeah, I think they're all personas that you put out there.
1: Um, That's very nice. You've actually got these multiple little communities that you can go and in- engage with. Yeah, and I can switch between them. That's so, yeah, nice. Well. Well, that's so nice. Because we, all, we are all sometimes different people, aren't we, behind one mask, aren't we? And we feel yeah, yeah. like at different times in the day or the week or the year, can be a different person. But you get to do that with your audience. I,
2: I'm digitally schizophrenic. Mm. And, <laughs> yeah. and it allows me to go out and be those <laughs> Yeah, characters. because he's got a
3: multi-personality disorder. And, but
2: I do find that happening a lot, that I, I live in one of those characters for longer. Mm. Depending on my frame of mind, so you know it's it's quite rare that I'm posting stuff as me. I do have my own Twitter account, um, and I choose the things that I post on there because I think that's again I know that's a completely Mm. different set of people that I'm talking to. It's about knowing who your audiences are to absolutely, and then those audiences build around that. And you know, my favorite one of all of them is Trumpton, uh, which I set up originally to kind of deal with. Largely, the fact that I thought Nigel Farage was a kind of despicable politician—not not not just that he's got bad policies or anything, but just simply that you wouldn't elect that guy to to run the treasury committee of the golf club. (laughs) How are these people getting into politics? How does that happen? Exactly. exactly. Um, Although he's my MEP, funnily enough, but uh, which is terrifying. (laughs) But. um, so it started as that, but it, it had one of those little overnight Twitter success things where, um, because I was kind of pretending that the mayor of Trumpton had become a UKIP mayor, mm. um, suddenly there's a mass reaction to that um, from UKIP. <laughs> Idiot. There's a, guy, there's a guy called David Coburn, the Scottish MEP. Used to be, used to be in UKIP, now isn't hasn't resigned to have a by-election um, after changing. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but he took umbridge yeah. at my at my account. And, of course, Twitter was on a quiet night and just woke up and went, David Coburn thinks this puppet is a real mayor. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up getting tens of thousands of followers straight afterwards and uh, and then appearing in the FT and on um, the Daily Politics with Mr Neil and stuff. Um, and, and, and that one's always been a labour of love because in that weekend that that happened... 150 Trumpton accounts started. Yeah. There's like 36 characters, I think, in, in the Trumpton TV show. All of those got sucked up really quick by people. And then Trumpton momentum started, and, and <laughs> Trumpton Labour <laughs> Tory, <laughs> Trumpson, um, the Trumpton Nazi Party started, the Trumpton campaign for real ale. There was a, <laughs> was a, one of my favourites was the Trumpton clock that just went bong every hour. And then, two two football teams started, and they would play games against each other on Twitter on a Thursday, <laughs> yeah. and BBC Trumpton would report on that. <laughs> and these are all separate people that just created something around that little phenomenon. Yeah. And now you've got that little—you know—it's got bigger and bigger as a community of people, and it's—they're uh, adorable, most of them. There's a few that I don't know why they follow me because everything I post they complain about, and you're like, what?
1: "Why? Why are you there?" Yeah, because some people are like
3: that. I mean. Trumpton was one of my favourite programmes. Oh. It was one of yours.
2: Yeah, I've I've completely destroyed one of my favourite TV shows. I was, say, when I was shows. thinking
3: that. I mean, I put that you just kind of like ruined like the Vino and.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm I'm gradually going through all of my childhood <laughs> cultural references and destroying them one by one. Yeah, well, well, I think it's, that's why it works in a way because. It's kind of about the same thing that Farage is about, which is, is about it's retro. Kind of, yeah, yeah,
3: that, well, I, yeah, the British ideal of the nineteen fifty. I
2: worked 10. out a few years ago that Farage is two years older than me, which completely terrified me, because I'm thinking, geez, I thought he was an old man. <laughs> What's <laughs> yeah. going on here? And then I thought, well, hang on, which version of Britain is it that he keeps looking back to? that he thought was better, because mm. as a child in the 1970s, it was a bit crap. Yeah. And I had a hulu, so I was reasonably happy, but, you know...
3: We had power cuts and... and had three day day like, weeks, yeah, three-day weeks, bins not being emptied, kind of yeah, yeah. bodies in the street. Yeah, yeah, you know,
2: your childhood was always memorably lovely, but the politics of the time, when you look at them, were a nightmare. Um, and I'm just, you know, race riots in the streets mm. and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, what was it he was looking back to? And then I, an episode of Trump, I saw Trumpton, uh, a Trumpton post, and I just thought, oh, that's what he thinks Britain was like. Mm. You know, when the mayor was the only guy with a car, there were no foreigners <laughs> at all in Trumpton, except one episode where Tony the Ice Cream Man turns up, tries to take over the flower stall. Uh, in the town square and the villagers all get together get the fire brigade out and kick him out and you think yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely you that's know and the mayor the yeah. mayor was the mayor because his name was Mr Mayor yeah that makes
3: sense so, <laughs> and Wendy Miller probably had a kind of uh, oh well, you gotta, no, okay.
2: you gotta, you're You straying into Camberwick Green am I oh, oh,
3: I, knew, I, you know, I thought I was see I've become this he, is there not a crossover I've become this Does ipso facto
2: <laughs> expert <laughs> on drums I was over. thinking yeah. Wendy
3: Miller did pier- a crop up in Trumpton, but they, they,
2: they occasionally did a crossover episode. Yeah. but the um, <laughs> Windy Miller was the the cider drinking uh, Miller in yeah, Camberwick Green, he was in Cap, yeah, because I yeah, yeah, and uh, Trumpton, Trumpton was the town, Camberwick Green yeah. is the village, and Chigley was the city. Um, beautiful set of stop animation, yeah, program. yeah. And I very often I apologize online for what I've done to Trumpton, <laughs> um, but uh, but I, what was odd there was when. A couple of years ago, Gordon Murray, the guy that created Trump and Chigley and Camberwick Green, died. And um, uh, he—and uh, that saddened me, actually. I was very sad that day uh, because he was a great creative guy, a lovely bloke um, and uh, a, a genius with what he did. Um, and uh, so I, I took a little clip from uh, a Camberwick Green episode with a soldier from Pippin Fort blowing a trumpet and I just looped it and played The Last Post. <laughs> And then put R.I.P. Gordon Murray, and it just went massively viral because I realised, well, nobody else is actually representing Trumpton. Yeah, yeah. it's me. Yeah. I am Trumpton. here. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody had come to, and they were they were posting condolences to me. I'm really sorry, and I'm going, yeah. honestly I had nothing yeah. to do with him. Yeah. Find I'm his family, Trumpton name anything. <laughs> well, I'm desperately yeah. looking for members of his family to go look what's happening here. You know, so, yeah. um, but no, it's sweet that that, that community bit I love. I think that's the thing that drives me most of the time
3: yeah that's awesome going back a bit you grew up in cambridgeshire is that
2: right um, I grew up in Hertfordshire and mm. cambridgeshire yeah so uh, I was born in Bishop Stortford and we moved to Peterborough in cambridgeshire mm-hmm. um, back in the 80s uh, which I remember doing in the back of a van so I must have been about eight or something oh okay we sat in the removal van going <laughs> up to scary Peterborough
1: which I thought was up north <laughs> in a way was it scary um, then
2: um i i vividly remember that move I, the the uh we you know upping sticks from where you were born and uh, and and had gone to school and all your friends and I had a girlfriend at the time i think in in my head I'd been on a date to the wimpy bar the week before I left I seem to remember and um yeah, and then we moved up to Peterborough. And Peterborough is a city... It's an interesting city. It was built um, or, or certainly massively expanded in the 60s as a new town. And it was uh, to deal with the um, large number of people having been forced to leave the east end of London, really, mm-hmm. um, after the war. And, uh, and then when they moved back or elsewhere, then it just became this city that took waves and waves of immigration. So in a way you know not that i always bring things back to politics but in a way peterborough was a kind of and still is uh, one of those cities where immigration actually is something that people feel in their daily life you know i went to school with i think the generation that i was at school with were largely italians or servo krauts which you know at the age of 14 i found out there was a place called croatia basically and that they were all there for a reason because there was trouble um, and, uh, but you know, it's ever since the war there'd just been waves and waves going into, into Peterborough um, but as a new town as well it was um, probably got to be careful my mum still lives there but uh, <laughs> it's a um, culturally interesting place because it, it just didn't really have any culture it was a rapidly built city mm. and therefore there'd not really been time for it to develop a music culture or a, a theatre culture or anything so it was it's quite bereft of all of that I guess really
3: has um, it ever caught up, do you think? Because it's still... No. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know,
2: it's got a lovely cathedral. And I was it, about the, to say, it's got a nice cathedral. It is beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. There's a lot. Actually, it's a good, you know, it was a well-planned town. It was the, I, when I was a kid, um, at the 16, 15, 16, you have to say, the choices for your uh, GCSEs or A yeah, sure, levels yeah. at the time. Uh, I wanted to be a town planner. Which was the, So that was an environmental thing. It was yeah. the living in a town that had been planned by somebody. Yeah. I kind of thought, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be an architect or a town mm. planner. And then I found out that to be an architect, you have to go to school for about nine years. Yeah, and I thought, no, I'm not mistakes. doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I'll be a lawyer. And that was six years. And then I thought, you know what? I'll just get expelled. <laughs> <laughs> a lot shorter. <laughs> yeah. it was a lot quicker route. World so you, did, did you, you got expelled? Did you? Um, yeah, in the sixth yeah. form. Did you? I was, um, yeah, I was... Uh, it's the, I always think you create I'm I'm never sure if you went back and asked other witnesses at the time it might not be the same story but you create a myth about yourself to mm-hmm. justify what happened um, but I was a troublemaking teenager well I was a cocky teenager and, and I ended up in a situation quite often where if something was happening in the class the teacher would turn around and say Dix what are you doing mm, yeah. because it was always assumed it must be yeah, me yeah so I just kind of ended up rising to that bait all the time. Yeah. And uh that's not to blame anyone else but me, I was trouble but um manageable trouble I think. Um and then in the uh in the sixth form, there was a there's a scheme called Young Enterprise. I don't know if you ever come across bit, that. Yeah. So when you're in school there's there's a charity called Young Enterprise, which is a great charity and what they do is uh get local businesses to work with kids um to create a little business in the in their year. And uh, they go and work with a local business to help and advise them on what they're doing. Um, and normal and you raise share capital amongst your friends and family. You sell little shares in this company, um, and they- and you elect managing directors. So that's you know where it departs from the reality of capitalism. Going, yeah. Let's have a vote on who's going to be in charge. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <that one. laughs> So, uh, and I ended up doing the second half of a year in this and. Um, we normally those little companies do, and I think they pretty much still do. They they make and sell candles or greetings cards or something, you know, um, something they can craft themselves and then sell on a stool at the school fete and then yeah. make twenty quid profit yeah, yeah. to share out with their shareholders. And we it was back in the eighties. So it was I was working on Saturdays in a Dixon's selling computers and at the age of 16 I was the only one in Dixon's that understood what these computers were because they were all brand new you know ZX Spectrums and things like that Um, so I was being trained by Sinclair and Apple and IBM to sell these things at the age of 16 it's ridiculous Um, and I thought well uh, what we should do is there's no sensible market at the moment for buying software. Nobody knew where to buy software mm. for computers. It was either in Dixon's, but Dixon's didn't know what they were doing, selling tapes. Mm. Um, or record shops maybe, or bookshops. There wasn't such a thing as a software shop. So we organised a computer fair in the school. And uh, we, um, this little group of six of us in our little company, I think it was called Start, um, which was named after a jam track at the time. And uh, we... have um, like an apprentice team, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, it was exactly like that. And we and we were working with um, SodaStream, which was a local business, uh, who were helping us. And they were on the up. They were massive at that time yeah. as a business. Well, yeah, yeah. So we had, some, yeah. we had some great executives yeah. helping us. Yeah, with. that's cool. And we came up with this idea to do a computer thing, get all the retailers in the shopping centre I worked in to come and get a stand, all the bookshops, all the independent software people that I knew. And we set this thing up and without realising that because, quite rightly, I'd identified that that didn't exist, that it, it would be massively popular mm. as well. So we brought three bottles of orange squash to do the catering and did all this planning of, you know, <laughs> well, uh, may, maybe we should get some biscuits. What do you think? A few biscuits? And then... We turn up at the school hall where we were running this computer fair on a Saturday morning, and there was literally a queue of about four hundred people <laughs> trying to get in. That just got bigger and bigger wow. and bigger, and, and these six sixteen year olds were <laughs> desperately trying to <laughs> organise this thing. And um, and we made a fortune. We absolutely—I think we charged a pound on the door, and we charged all the stands a fiver or something to be there. And and we just made a ridiculous amount of money. And I took the whole team down the pub afterwards. Yeah, we were sixteen, <laughs> and I spent about a hundred quid of this money we'd made that day on treating them, getting them pissed because yeah, yeah. I thought we'd all done a great job. Yeah, yeah. And um, there was uh, my PE teacher were, was in there with a sixth former. This was the trick I missed because I didn't realise that I should have used that <laughs> as, as a reason <laughs> yeah, not to get yeah. me expelled. Uh, and he reported me to the headmaster and uh, I had to go in the next day with my mum. Uh, and he said, well, you have to pay this money back. You've stolen money from the young enterprise. And I went, that's not really how capitalism works. I'm the managing director. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. I that, yeah, treated yeah. my team to £100 worth of yeah, beer yeah, and that's yeah. a justifiable expense. Yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, you're out, uh, but you have to pay the money back first. So I went to the bank and got £100 worth of pennies. And I turned up and piled them <laughs> on top of his car the next day. And that's what got me expelled. <laughs> Took me ages to pile all these coins up on his car to make my political statement about
1: I really respect that. And that was the <laughs> yeah. first of a long line of political statements. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: How I end up losing jobs or getting expelled but going, Yeah, look what I did, that was clever. <laughs> um, yeah, I should have learned a lesson at the time. I think my mum was actually marginally proud of me. Mm for doing it but well, you were ahead,
1: ahead. ahead of the game with the, with the fair really that was hmm.
2: I, I, um, a company that I started a few years ago was called Bleeding Edge because I think I've always been slightly ahead of the game which is the point where nobody's making any money yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then suddenly the world catches up and you go oh I'm out of that now I'm so bored with it so okay. did
3: you have a slight entrepreneurial kind of spirit back you think? yeah well I
2: don't know it, it's um you end up pigeonholed really quickly, don't you? And because I was working in sales at the time. And Dixon's, when I was expelled, welcomed me into yeah, a full-time yeah. job because I was the only guy that understood computers. I was selling yeah. lots of computers for them because I loved them. And, um, and therefore, I got labelled as a salesman mm. from that point onwards. And, um, and it's only in the last four years that I've managed to break away from that. To, and, and I have friends that are going through the same cycle where they're incredibly creative people and they've been salesmen all their lives. Mm. And they want to change jobs, so they're looking for another sales job. And I keep saying to them, no, just give up on that. That's what other people want you to be, not really what you want to be. Yes, you're a good salesperson, but sell your own work. Sell what you've drawn, what you've written. Um,
3: So what led to you breaking out of that?
2: Well, Four years ago, it was was cancer. Um, Yeah. I, I suppose I'd stop being a salesman but you never do but I'd been a producer and a mm-hmm. digital producer and a trainer and all of that is um, uh, it, it requires a lot of energy and, and a lot of visits and mm-hmm. going out uh, all over the world to do stuff um, and I, um, I got diagnosed with leukaemia and I needed to find a job that I could, or work that I could do because I was freelance then um, but work that I could do in my pyjamas sitting at my desk because that was literally what leukemia did to me. Um, so I, I decided to go back to what I always wanted to do when I was sixteen and be a, uh, an artist of some sort, an illustrator. Um, and uh, I found a website um, which I probably shouldn't plug, but I will called Ninety Nine Designs, mm-hmm. um, which is an odd marketplace online where you, um, if you want a logo designing then uh, you um, you can advertise a competition for somebody to design your logo. You put up a prize of $100 yeah. or $400 or whatever. It's an American site. And uh, people just submit their ideas for your logo drawings and then you go through to the next round and then they select somebody to win and then you win all the money. Um, and I kind of figured how to slightly game that system, how many... Logos mm-hmm. I needed to spit out in a day in order to do it. How to re- interpret a brief, and and I suppose the sales in me, 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 me was quite good at listening to what people wanted and selling it back mm-hmm. to sure. them. Um, and I did quite well out of that, and I ended up being a platinum designer on this thing, which gave me the confidence to go, "Oh, hang on, there was no bullshit involved in that. I wasn't selling yeah. to anybody. I yeah. just drew something, and somebody liked it and paid me for it." Um, so I feel well, that's what we want to do, and so that gave me the groundwork. Um, really to then start doing my own stuff which I I largely did because I hate briefs and I hate working for clients yeah, yeah. and uh, and therefore to be creative at the same time and keep my creative edgy and I was yeah. creating jokes and cartoons and images and posting those online um, and then that finds an audience and then I kind of followed my nose for about four years I literally just went if somebody asks me to do something I'll have a go at it if it doesn't involve stepping out the door and, uh, and that led to a publisher contacting me and, and then uh, you know, all of the stuff that I do now, I guess, basically. So it's, um, and now I call myself an artist and illustrator because last financial year, I, that's where I made all my money. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, uh, you know. Although I still have confidence problems about saying that. Mm. I think this year yeah. is the first year I'm confident enough at a party when somebody says, what do you do? I say, actually nowadays I say I'm a satirist and, and cartoonist. Last what would you year. have said before? Then? Well, last year Sounds it would have been an author, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the year before that, it would have been, I mean, the media yeah. or sales. Um, or or actually, you know, for the last few years, it's, it's quite often been a stumbling sort of, I don't really, well, it's quite complex and I'm not sure what, yeah. you know, I don't know what to call myself type thing. But now I'm confident that all of my money comes from selling cartoons. So that's what I do. I'm a cartoonist. I
1: think creative people struggle with that, don't they? Finding, finding, because you see other people and you think that's they do that, but then turning it on yourself is quite difficult to say. Well, I do it as well because I'm not quite maybe how I see them doing it.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the you know my fear about talking to you guys today was imposter syndrome. Having listened to some of your <laughs> other guests, where I'm thinking, oh God, I don't belong in that club. Um, but then with you, Jimmy, it's like the comedian thing it's, its always one of those labels where you you you, could, you know what do you do? I'm a comedian. Mm. And and then the immediate answer to that is, tell me a joke. Yeah, but I always <laughs> say no, unless you pay me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But well, already... then, well, that's when you prove
1: you are a comedian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've only recently started saying that because my money, most of my money now is coming from comedy, but only in the last couple of years. It's the strange thing, and I think it's one of those things about social media as well
2: in particular, because and, and the web, is that we've got to this position where people do think content should be free, that mm. you should be doing all of this stuff for free. And and this sort of lack of understanding that you, if you want me to keep doing this, I have to make a living out of this. Mm. You know, well, it's funny it. the
1: big the, the big traditional brands or traditional platforms all seem to think you should do it for free. But but audiences, I think, are getting savvy to it and mm. understanding actually that an artist does need to be paid, and and, and that's why crowd well, like and stuff is coming through. Crowd sourcing Patreon, yeah. Um, yeah.
2: I think they're great actually because that that entirely links up with that kind of community thing. I've got this. Great community of Trump, and a percentage of which will always, as long as I'm offering something mm. that they want um, to, to to get back, they'll always pay for something. So, the model of sharing free content for me works perfectly fine because it's kind of an advert for the bits that I charge you for. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> when I first um, started doing the Mike and Scrabble books, um, the, the story there was I was doing I got a dog to help me exercise. Uh, mainly, and I'm not really a dog person, so everything she did just confused me. <laughs> yeah, and so I, rather than send her back to the pound, you know, I kind of, I thought I'll just draw cartoons from her perspective as to why she was doing things, and it turned out to be it sort of started to turn itself into a, a set of jokes uh, that became a set of books about uh, her training me to be a better human mm-hmm. by all the things that she did and um, and I'm posting these on social media, I set up an account for her um, and uh, and then I got a, an email in a very bad week for me actually, a very depressing week um, and so I ignored it for about five days ignored all my emails and then this email was addressed to Scrabble my dog, uh, he said dear Scrabble we, I really love your cartoons and I'd love to turn them into a book, I'm a publisher in Dorset and uh, we do books about animals and pets and their relationship with humans and uh, we'd really like you to do that. And uh, because it had been five days since the email, I thought, oh, God, I might have missed that opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's awful. So I wrote back as Scrubble saying, I am terribly sorry. Mike is the laziest, good-for-nothing human I've ever met. I'd love to do a book, but if, if you want to sack Mike and we'll get a better illustrator, <laughs> that would be awesome, basically. Yeah. I had this whole two-way conversation with my publisher as, as my dog um, until the point that we got to the contracts. And uh, and Scrabble said I'm going to have to send Mike along to sign those because I yeah. can't actually hold a pen. <laughs> so and it was the best negotiation I ever did because again it's that avatar, it's that yeah. you're having somebody else to speak. You know I'm very confident when I talk as my dog because yeah. she's a lot smarter than me. Yeah. And you know, but in the forward to the first book, Scrabble's more
3: cutthroat. <laughs> yeah, well in the
2: first book, right, um, the forward in the first book. There's two bits. There's a bit I've written and a bit Scrabble's written. And I sent them to my brother to proofread um, uh, b- before the book was published. And he came back and he said, oh, they're lovely and they're funny. But he said, um, I think um, I think you're a bit hard on yourself and Scrabble's a bit cocky. And I went, <laughs> yeah, you know I wrote both of them. Yeah. <laughs> you see, you yeah. The dog's not actually writing, <laughs> basically. So. But that's that whole thing of I think being able to be somebody else which you as a writer you know that it's about putting yourself in the in the mind of your characters and then, yeah, and, then writing yeah, the yeah. and that helps it to flow um, and I find it's a lot easier if I'm pretending to be somebody else writing
3: things Yeah, and drawing no, things yeah I totally empathise with that
1: and does that does that help when you're having because obviously as a creative there are good weeks there are bad weeks does yeah. that help if you're having a particularly blank week uh, to, to bring it back to the pod well blank being able to be the, someone
2: else I mean that's the thing that Thinking about talking to you guys today has been one of those things I've been anxious about. Actually, thinking, well, what do I think about that? Mm. And and then it struck me that the story of this comic and the crowdfunding for it has entirely been my battle with procrastination and fear to to get it out there every month. And and you know, I'm a little bit behind on the comic at the moment. I'm, I'm probably two months behind. And I've got a very loving audience that keep paying me every month, yeah. and and, uh, uh, and and they know that I'm behind them. Why? And, and I'm sort of having this two way relationship with them. But that I feel this stress of, you know, uh, just over a thousand people that want uh, waiting to receive their comic, and uh, uh, and that bothers me. I feel this this pressure that it's got to be funnier each time mm. for me. Uh, It's going to be better. It's going to improve somehow, and and that can stop me starting. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, because if I think, well, that's not a funny thing. It's not funny enough. It's not as funny as that page last week. Then that will stop me quite often. And stopping starting is the is the worst thing. That's the the moment that you just blank out the whole creative process in your head, and just you know you have to go and do something else. I find I have to get up, go out. Do something else entirely and then let it creep up behind me again creatively and bite me and go quick, go home, draw this. Um, I do find living by the sea helps with that a lot. Go and walk down by the sea and suddenly an idea fully forms in your head and you just have to get to a computer quick to make yeah. it happen. Because, invariably, it's
1: well, <coughs> sorry, once you start those ideas, even if it's an idea that you're not thinking, I'm, I'm about 80% in this idea, I'm not 100%, but once you start, invariably it leads somewhere, doesn't it? And you always feel better. My
2: process is entirely um, think of something that's got potential for funny. Um, Build the models of the characters or the set for that thing, because I I do a lot of my cartoons in 3D software. And that process is like, uh, I know a few sculptors in Brighton and when I, and paint um, artists, and it's a very similar sort of mindful process that when you're building a 3D model, you, I can start at. I have a weird sleep pattern, so sometimes I can start at four o'clock in the morning building something, and then suddenly it's four o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and I haven't got up off from the desk. But I've got this finished, beautiful set and um, characters to play with. And as I'm doing that, everything else goes away from my head, it's just like chipping away at a piece of marble until you find the, the, the sculpture. Um, and as I'm do- and then the dialogue is starting to appear in my head and the shots are starting to appear in my head and how I can use that model to then lay out as a comic. Um, and I find that the joke is probably was probably sitting around just out of my eyesight yeah. for a long time and then I find it once I found the character. We, I did a piece for the latest comic uh, where I wanted to put um, John Bull, the sort of traditional character that represents Britain, uh, on the psychiatrist's couch and have Sigmund Freud um, interview him and I, a friend of mine is a counsellor he's not a Freudian but knows him very, he knows mm. his work very well so I went for, for coffee with him told him this was going to be a collaboration and I said, and he, he then introduced me to the idea of well you can't just be satirical about John Ball and Britain you also need to Freud is a monster as well <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, you yeah, need to yeah. do something about Freud so, so then we start this process and, and I said to him look we scrap this for now I'm going to go away and draw Freud and once I've found my Freud I'll come back and we'll sit here and talk about that Mm. and then we just had this fake consultation where I was John Bull and he was Freud (laughs) and we sat there and wrote down everything we were saying because it just came out of that you know what does Britain think it is nowadays and yeah. Freud's insistence that he knew yeah. even though he wasn't really listening to yeah. what Britain was saying and and in the end there's a f- fart joke from the dog which um <laughs> <laughs> it's always you know, can't go wrong with that <laughs> well because it was such a serious subject in a way that you think well I, I need the dog to fart at yeah, the end yeah. that's, that's how this is going to be a gag
1: yeah. <laughs> so, you have to trust yourself I think don't you that, that the good stuff will come that it's in there, and you know it's in there.
2: Well, and another friend of mine also said that, you know, sometimes you're... It goes back to what I was saying about my grand and your audience's expectations of you. Sometimes a lot of the people that want the comic just want the comic every month. And I I keep thinking back to the Beano. You know, I used to love Thursday, uh, my dad coming home with a Beano or a whoopee or or, or 2000 AD or whatever it was he brought home for us. And then you'd read your favourite story. For me, it was Roger the Dodger, which is no surprise, but... Um, and it would be disappointing it, it, you know it's not that great it's not funny and, and Roger did something that you're not pleased with but you think oh it's alright there'll be another one next week yeah, and yeah, then your expectations yeah. start to build for the next yeah. one and then and so this mate of mine was saying just get stop procrastinating about doing a better comic and just get the comics out every yeah. month and keep practicing which I'm getting much better at now but I always do want to say and, you know I'm trying to be very clever with the next one because I'm going to do a double issue and I want to use the same images but different words, mm. um, so that there's a leave version and a remain oh, version. Oh, okay, nice joke. Nice, yeah. But that's incredibly different. It's difficult. It? a <laughs> great idea to think what the imagery can be to do that.
1: Because I love Saturday Night Live, and yeah. um, each week you'll get brilliant sketches and terrible sketches, but people just accept it. That's, the a, that's just the way of the show.
2: Stephen Colbert is is my go to yeah, in the morning yeah, every yeah. every morning, and. Uh, and sometimes some of those jokes fall flat. And he's got a writer's room with 12 yeah. people in it. You know? yeah, exactly, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, and you go, yeah. well, if they can't come up with something I'm all right just spitting out something. <laughs> you know, it'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> exactly. So, um,
3: and where do you go? Because obviously Brexit's looming. Is that, how well, many, 900 days or whatever? We are now. At this yeah, something. Yeah. Time. Hours? 900 hours? are thirty As we are hours, 30,
2: as we're recording 30, this, 35 yeah. days away from Brexit. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's terrible. So, yeah. um, well... We're 35 days away from from when Theresa May wants to do Brexit. Yeah, the theory of Brexit.
3: What what happens to the comic?
2: A lot of people ask me that. They say, well, you're going to have to finish on the 29th. And I go, really? Because you don't think we're going to use the word Brexit (laughs) (laughs) after the 29th? And you don't think it will stand for a period where we all went a bit bonkers? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in, in... I often I, I do some jokes about the fact that, you know, in a couple of hundred years time we'll be talking about Brexit like we do Guy Fawkes yeah, now. We yeah, won't quite know yeah. what it was about, yeah. but it will be that period
1: where And there'll be bonfires okay, so do do? Boris, yeah, Boris Johnson effigies. <laughs> so, yeah. you well know, my home my hometown knows. my hometown, Edenbridge in Kent, is famous for their um bonfire effigies. On Fireworks Night each year, well, and they've Lewis, def, they've done Boris, def, Lewis obviously Lewis, up the road does a Lewis series awesome. Yeah, they've done, everything. I swear they've Pick done. Boris, Boris is there, there. every year.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think you know, I, I I'd like to think that the comic has got its own. You know, if you think about it, I'm, I voted Remain. Most of my audience, I think, and and readers uh, probably voted Remain. I like, I do like to think there's quite a few levers, and I know there are that read it uh, and and follow the account. And actually, it's one of my targets. Um, is to is to get it funny enough and and witty enough for a Leave voter to mm. like it yeah. or at least get it. Yeah. Um, because I think the problem, you know, one of the big problems we've got politically at the moment is that you 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 end up in your bubble and, yeah. and your football team supporting yeah. politics and uh, and they, and therefore everything the opposition say is is traitorous and ridiculous yeah, yeah, yeah. and we should all be locked up. In one way or another, and I think, well, that you know, how the hell are we going to heal that problem? We need to. We're going to need to build that bridge. And at the moment, I do an interview in the comic every month, and I ask somebody from the left, or somebody from the right, or somebody from Leave, or somebody from Remain, to talk about um, how they think we can heal it and how long it will take. And, And I think, when you think there's a Remainer running a comic called The Brexit. (laughs) <laughs> the, I've kind of taken ownership. It's like me stealing Trumpton and stealing the Beano, yeah, and yeah. now I'm stealing Brexit for myself <laughs> as well. Let's make it a positive thing. And I think in, you know, why is private eye called private eye? Basically, I don't, I can't remember, but it's, yeah, it's, it's now a yeah. thing. Yeah. So I kind of think, uh, as long as people don't get too fed up with it. Occasionally I get an email from, I got an email this morning from a subscriber saying, I really love what you're trying to do, Mike, and it does make me laugh. This actually saddens me quite a lot. He said, But I'm going to have to cancel because I'm not finding Brexit funny anymore. It's not your comic. It's I can't laugh at this anymore. Um, and that actually wor- that worries me if we're getting to that point, actually. I think if we can't laugh at the pompous and the arrogant and the people driving yeah, us off I the cliff, you ha- you have to. we're in yeah. trouble, basically. You have
1: to. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll all go crazy.
2: Yeah, and you know, satire in a way has always had that role, which is to just go, look, these people think they're in charge of you, let's laugh at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should, because it's the best way to disarm them. Um, and they don't. I think that's a British edition as well. Yeah. Was, you know, to do that. And French, and, you know, French well, yeah, political yeah. satire in particular yeah. has always been very good at that. And um, so I think it's got a role. It may transform. I, I did always want to start doing editions that were a bit more like the Whoopee or Wizard and Chips or 2000 AD, and I might start doing some of that. Uh, in the future but also not every joke in there anymore is about Brexit you know they're quite often one of my favourite ones is when Stephen Hawkins died I did a uh, a strip of um, Hawkins talking to God in heaven and uh, God ended up giving Hawkins the job of running the running creation because Hawkins persuaded (laughs) it got nothing to do with Brexit at all but it was just these lovely you know pictures of Stephen Hawkins and God Walking across clouds towards the gates of heaven, and in the end they swap places. And Stephen Hawking wishes God um, good luck with the wheelchair. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> so you're starting to evolve. What's the, some of the content? already yeah, yeah,
2: it's it's you know it's it's a real. It's why I was talking to this friend last night about this. The the. Um, it's an honourable position to be able to be in, to be able to communicate through images that people do laugh at every day about stuff that's important. But but it's also, it allows me to say what I think is important in the news. Sometimes it's not what the headlines are. Sometimes it's something else that I want to highlight. Um, so you do end up in this position where you're able to raise awareness or not, to a small extent, with you know, the people that follow me. Um uh, and then also annoy them. You know, there's a lot of Labour voters that that um, like my work, and and I'm not a big fan of Mr. Corbyn, so mm. I tend to do jokes about him that I know are going to cause trouble. But, yeah,
1: you know, but, but they
3: probably know cares? that's coming as well. So,
2: yeah. They yeah. kind of do, but they're very serious about <laughs> yeah, it. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I do a joke that I think is genuinely funny, and and um, or at least descriptive. Yeah. For me, if the joke is factual, if it's based on some facts, um, so I did a one in the latest comic about. Uh, there's a there's a song, of Robin the Frog, Kermit's nephew, sang called Halfway Up the Stairs, yeah, which I, I think is based that, yeah, yeah. on a A. A. Milne poem I learnt from somebody in my community the other day, and um, and I did Jeremy Corbyn sitting halfway between Leave and Remain and singing some, <laughs> some new lyrics to <laughs> yeah. that song, and I thought, well, they, you know, it's kind of where he it is, yeah, it's factually yeah. accurate, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I got pilloried, absolutely pilloried. Some people sending me like the equivalent of pages of text. Uh, in, in response to this thing, trying to justify why Corbyn was a superhero. And I'm like, look, it's fine. If you want me to do propaganda, pay me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know? mean, if you
1: subscribe to <laughs> yeah. a satirical political output, you've got to expect they're going to take the piss out of what you believe in. All at leaders. Some point. Every, yeah. For
2: me, yeah, exactly. it's, it's all leaders. It's fair game. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, at the moment, we've got this independent group forming, and I, I've given them a bit of grace. I'll give them a few days. I did a cartoon about them yesterday, but eventually the arrogance of somebody in that group will come out and it will be funny. Yeah. yeah and I'll do something about that yeah. completely. But, um, uh, it's, it's, it's not the same as just posting your opinions about politics that people, people treat it much more seriously. It's like if people ring me and they have, um, from the website. And okay. I haven't received my comic. I want to complain about it. And I go, Oh, I'm really sorry about that." It's Mike, I'm, I've, I was out yesterday doing such and such and in fact my dog had to go to the vets I'll, I'll get your comic and put it in an envelope and post it to you he went well Mike that draws them and I went yeah and puts them in the envelope and posts them to yeah, you basically yeah, yeah. and he's going well I can't believe I've got through to you and then this guy said he well have you got a minute could we talk about politics and I went yes <laughs> so we had a half hour conversation he was lovely i think he's about 75 lives in newcastle doesn't get out much really cares about politics very smart bloke and he said can i ring you every month and i said you might have to pay a bit more than four <laughs> yeah, 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 to yeah. do that to be honest yeah. with you but i do love those moments where people because i think the design and the look of these things looks very professional the website looks very mm. professional and people kind of think i must be amazon yeah and then when they realize it's just the bloke and his dog literally running it well that's a compliment um, isn't it i guess so but then you do stuff you know i do i do write back to people as the mayor that's the other lovely thing about having other characters and i write back as the mayor and say what do you think this is bloody amazon or something (laughs) Um, or what did you expect i'm a politician i lied to you basically i quite (laughs) quite like that one but yeah If somebody gets an email from Mike, it means that I'm genuinely upset and I need to, to
1: apologise to them, basically. So. Um, with all the different uh, communities you've got, does that help in frustrating moments? Because I find when I'm being creative sometimes, I think, having a day where I think, why am I doing this? No one cares. Why am I wasting my time? But if you've got different communities you can then go to or bounce off to give you a bit more sort of support and confidence. Yeah, I,
2: I, I genuinely think this... Yeah, I was, I've i always tried to work out what it is that drives me to do these things. And with my publisher, I was just going back to this, when I started doing the book, she asked me to stop publishing cartoons on social media. And I said, well, well then they won't exist. Yeah. Yeah, what's the point? There's, there's, there, I, unless I'm testing them with it, the people that affirm me every morning. And then I started thinking about that and thought, well, in a way, although I'm a cartoonist, and that's what I call myself, it's also akin to being a stand-up in a way in that I put out my opinion as a joke and then within seconds I'm getting a response to that. Yeah. Um, and without that, I, you know, I am constantly disappointed if people are not liking and retweeting yeah. it, constantly. So I know I need that affirmation. It's it's a shallowness in me that needs an audience to react to it as I don't think it exists. But, but I was listening to... Um, uh, David, the, uh, the one of your recent podcasts. Morrissey. Mo- David yeah. Morrissey. And he was saying the same thing. He was saying um, without an audience and, a, and, a, and a, um, uh, a group of actors around him, he doesn't feel there's anything. He could do yeah. Shakespeare on his own in the bedroom and be brilliant, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't mean anything to him at all. Mm. And I think it's the same thing for me. These things don't exist unless you're sharing them. I need the affirmation. And the bad thing that comes with that is the... You might get a thousand likes on a cartoon and then one bad comment, and that's what I'm drawn to. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, I've heard that from a from A lot of creative people that you know you are drawn to the bad reviews rather than the good ones, and you become fixated on
3: them, yeah. Reading them, and... yeah. And
2: I don't know what that's about, no, I don't know. Do that. you because you must No, have well, no
3: We've had that, and we've actually talked about that on the podcast before yeah. with various different people, yeah, loads of people. Um, and it seems to be a, a common trend that yeah. we, we do that. As I mean, we... it's a free in us, I think. Are you always
2: you, when I used to work with actors in television and digital? I used to describe actors as the kind of people that could stand naked in Hyde Park going, look at this, it's bloody marvellous. <laughs> and they go home and cry because they know it isn't, but they managed to put that whole performance <laughs> yeah, on to make people yeah, believe yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. And and I, and I kind of think it's a bit like that. It's it's You're brave enough to put stuff out there. And I find that a lot with... I know a lot of artists that come to me and ask for advice on how do I get my stuff... Not how can I sell my stuff, how do I get it out of my studio and put it in front of people because I'm scared of that. And then you go and see their work and you say, it's just amazing work, yeah. it needs to be out there. Yeah. And then the, the natural salesman in me tends because it's much easier to sell somebody else's stuff anyway, is I'll yeah, pick yeah, up one of their paintings yeah. and take it round to a gallery I know and say, you should hang this and yeah. tell them why. And they do. Um, and they figure out it's quite easy, but it's not actually about the can galleries finder or anything, it's the trepidation of knocking on the door and revealing your soul to somebody with a piece of work that you've done and I find it amazing that people can make it but quite often can't put it in front of people whereas I'm almost the reverse that for me I don't really make stuff just for me that sits on my heart disk for me to look at I, it, invariably it's, um, it's got to be seen by somebody yeah. I, I want to get it out there, that's the point of it mm-hmm. Really. Um, so, it's, so I'm not sure where it comes from but it's definitely common amongst people about uh, amongst creative people, um, and and I think it 's what makes us different because I think everybody is creative, everybody you know creativity for me is about finding two things that might not belong together, putting them together, and seeing what comes out of that mm. essentially it's that 's largely what it is, and everybody does that all the time. They might not, you know i know incredibly creative programmers and yeah. people don't think programming is they think it's a logical mm. process but it's a not it's a massively creative process and they're challenged by different things to, to my mind but but they they're, they're challenged by creating the best thing they can in that space and we all create something but the idea that you are the idea that you're good enough to put it in front of people is a major problem for a lot of people i know some great writers great artists who will never get published sadly ever, because they will never take that step themselves. They'll Mm. never say, this is good enough for me to show to people. You know, my advice to people is always, in the world of social media, start a page, create a fake name if you want to, and start putting it out there and getting feedback. Because it is... uh, There's a thing about... um, it's all very well, all of us saying that we express ourselves creatively and we've got these souls, but you still have to eat and pay the exactly. mortgage. Yeah, 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 so exactly. at some point in time, this is show business or the art business yeah. or the theatre business or yeah. the book business—the business, yeah. business bit—is the bit everybody <laughs> yeah. forgets, yeah. and it's the hardest bit. Um, but it, you know, I'm very aware of it because I guess of that sales background and entrepreneurial background which is that well unless you're selling it you're not going to make any money out of it and therefore mm. you won't actually be able to continue doing this so if you want to continue doing this you're going to have to find a way to make some money
1: that goes back to the imposter
2: syndrome that you were talking about earlier in the podcast absolutely because i think i'm probably an art salesman who's making his own stuff
3: at the moment <laughs> yeah. because i can't be bothered to work with other people anymore
2: um and uh and you know I know artists and writers like you know I know comedians now and and, um, authors who I think are far better than me um, and I don't know if I belong in that club Um, and then you know and then I I, um, very occasionally I'll have in fact I had a conversation the other day with I'm talking to a friend of mine about spinning out some uh, TV idea based on the my characters Mm -hmm and uh, he was talking about who we could get involved in a project like that. I'm not actually going to name names here at all, um, but uh, he he mentioned a name of a comedy producer that he thought would be the perfect guy, and I said, oh, he's he's a follower. He follows Trump, and he comments on it occasionally. In fact, he wrote the foreword for one of my books, and, <laughs> and he goes, really? And I went, yeah. And, I said, and then he named another guy, and, he, and I went, yeah, I think he follows as well. <laughs> <laughs> and And... And then you kind of go, oh, maybe I do belong in some sort of club. Yeah. There's <laughs> some validation, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, and yet I'm still in awe of those people. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And yeah. Because um, I don't know if that works all the way through. So you, you guys have introduced uh, interviewed some uh, massively impressive names, you know, and and I don't know whether they've got an aspiration above them to another level. Mm-hmm. I think there's we, we my kids when. Um, my eldest Cameron uh, when he used to come home from school he's now for 29 so I'll embarrass him with a story about it <laughs> um, I used to say to him how's school going and he said great dad and uh, I said how are you doing in maths and he'd say I'm 8th in the class at the moment but I might move up to 6th quite soon and I said did your teacher rank you and he went no 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 we do that all amongst ourselves. <laughs> and I, went, I said, well, you line up in the morning and work out where <laughs> yeah. you all are in a math scale of some description. And I do wonder if we all go through life just going, how do I get to that next level? How yeah. do I become sixth yeah, yeah. and then yeah. fifth and then fourth? And, and do you ever get to the point where you go, oh, I am on top of my game? Basically. I don't think so. But but I think, I think, yeah, you're
3: never satisfied even if you're there yeah. now. I think you have to be
2: happy with where you are as yeah. well sometimes. It, yeah. I'm still with that. Well, that's the key. Yeah, That's absolutely the key. Am I comfortable and happy with yeah. what I'm doing? It's so don't hard though. Yeah. I guess, at the moment, I think I'm the closest to that that I've ever been in my life. That's great. I feel cu- currently comfortable, which means it's all about to go catastrophic. <laughs> <wrong>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as you say, on the of <laughs> everyone cancels yeah. the Brexit coin <laughs> subscription, and I'm yeah. done, basically. I so.
1: love the idea as well of... of, of- being the salesman being your own salesman because you're right that's such a huge part of being a creative and it's a very difficult part
2: of doing it well what do we all do you you have an agent I assume Giles you've got an agent for your comedy gigs not yet if anyone would like to (laughs) you want one (laughs) wonderful Um, and we all do because in a way I think in the creative world you'd much rather have some guy sitting there in an office selling you Um, uh, but but the reality of that is that they're probably not the best person to do that or you are yeah. but then you've got to find this balance between selling yourself and, um, and doing the work yeah. you know? and I think that's the challenge for anybody creative is, um, is how do you do that and, uh, and also the, the biorhythmic timing of are you in the right mood to do something mm. yes. at the point that you've got the time to do it yeah. basically. Yes. and sometimes sometimes my best creative is just driven out of just a desperate need to make some money because you go, okay, I've got to do something. Yeah, you know, I've yeah. got to do it now. Um, and it, or reacting angrily to somebody saying that your work's no good. That, sometimes I find that is the driver to go. Well, oh, bloody show you. Yeah, yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And those motivations are interesting. But the motivation to you know stick a bag on your shoulder and go knocking on doors saying, "Do you like this? Would you buy this?" Yeah. it's a it's a form of you know sales is a form of prostitution. They're both the oldest game in the in the, in the world. And um you know, I often describe when I'm teaching people how to sell a TV show or something that you know you are about to just bear your soul or, or, or even your physical self to somebody who's going to judge you yeah and they're mm-hmm. going to decide whether they like it or not and And for me, that's why I go back to that having different characters to play actually works really well for me you know if I'm talking about Trumpson or the brexit, I wear a bowl of black bowler hat. And I suddenly become this guy that yeah. I draw as a I draw myself as that cartoon character. Yeah. If I'm talking about Mike and Scrabble, I wear a check shirt because that's how I draw mm. myself in, yeah. and then I become that guy, and um, and then it becomes quite a lot easier to sell yourself at that point. You become a brand, and you, yeah, I think you know I'm very cynical about it as well because I think we're living in an age, this Instagram age, of branding yourself, yeah, creating a brand of yourself. But it's also quite useful to do that. So you know, on the it's like cake and circuses in the Roman times that you, you kind of go well you know I know they're buying my love by giving me gladiator fights etc and a free sandwich on a Saturday but god that gladiator fight was good yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 and at the moment I think we're in that world where I, th- I have major major issues with Facebook and Twitter and Google and, and the w- world we're creating for ourselves that we're all allowing to happen to ourselves which we're not doing my generation is just not doing enough about mm. Um, we are creating a society for our kids that I think we largely don 't understand as a generation and and that 's dangerous it 's always dangerous when you 've lost track of that and and, and we 're letting corporations do all of that rather than anything else and um, so I think there 's a lot of dangerous things. I think all of the genuinely proven um, law breaking by some of these social media outfits around politics in particular mm-hmm. is yeah. disturbing. Yeah, yeah. I think the fact that the Russians appear to have worked out how to do propaganda on social media much better than we have and the CIA have. And then yeah. that's the problem that's going on at the moment. You always go, the Russians are doing this. You go, We're all doing it. It's just yeah, the Russians doing are better good better at, better it. at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and I think those things need to be addressed. We need to do something about that in society completely. It's probably the biggest challenge we've got at the moment but then the flip side of all of that is that i find this lovely trumpton audience hidden in there that yeah. i can go and play with and, yeah. and that gives me an income so i think but then i think with anything like that using the system to allow you to uh, to to break and change and shape the system that's the important if you're doing satire on a platform and you're taking the piss out of that platform at yeah. the same time yeah, as, yeah. Your, as yeah. the politicians that should be regulating it, yeah. then it's okay. What's what yeah. could do, be disturbing is the trend towards uh, politicians being able to take that away from you, or the corporations being able to take that away yeah. from you. And I think those are the things that we
1: have to be very careful. With. Um, so we normally wrap up our podcast by asking our guests for their advice on blank moments yeah. to our listeners, and you know we have lots of listeners from different industries and backgrounds you got any advice for them to pass on? I think you
2: I think the, I'm just having a blank moment now, <laughs> yeah, so, so let me instantly try and think how I would get through that um, I genuinely I, I, let me give you the advice my mother gives me for any problem that you get which is break it down into smaller bits and do one of the small bits so yeah. if I get a blank moment, then I try to apply some form of process, which means that I can do something towards the end, ultimate aim that isn't actually the ultimate thing. So so it's, um, okay, I need to do f- a new book of Mike and Scrabble cartoons. I'm not feeling them. I don't, you know, I've fallen out with my dog. I can't think of good jokes to mm. do about her anymore. Um, I don't what I'll, do. I'll just redraw her. Mm. I'll just spend two days practicing drawing a new way to draw her and that may help me get to the next point yeah. so I think do something towards the, heading towards the same direction but maybe in a different route um, and see if it catches your eye again or go and do something completely different, go and meet a friend and sit down and talk about their problems and um, get out of your head for a while um, because the the most dangerous place for a creative person is the inside of their brain it's um, yeah. you know it it's yeah i guess we're rapping and therefore bringing the cancer into it is a nightmare but the the one of the effects i find with my leukemia is that i feel my brain slowing down with fatigue and that terrifies me it terrifies me so I have to have some processes to go is there something I can do something mindful something I can focus on something I can stop worrying about anything else yeah. and just do that and crafting a little uh, bit of my creative world that isn't maybe the bit I'm supposed to be doing is fine and then the other bit of advice largely to do with all life is um, is Douglas Adams' advice on deadlines um, which is um, I love deadlines, I love the washing sound they make as they pass me by, is don't worry. Stressing yourself about a deadline is just so bloody pointless, because inevitably you get past the deadline and everyone goes, oh, well, let's yeah. do it. I'll give you another week. <laughs> Which is where I think we're heading
3: with Brexit. Um, <laughs> but has the, um, I don't want to touch on the cancer again, but has the creativity helped you? Yeah. How did you it, cope?
2: It's Brighton, that? moving to Brighton, and, yeah. uh, and then because this is an environment that totally encourages creativity at all levels um, and um, and then f- in a way finding the confidence to do the only thing I was capable of doing mm-hmm. it's something I'd have sat there doing you know, it's like these people that I know that are painting things but not letting them out of the yeah. studio it's something I would do anyway as as a hobby and then finding a way to turn that into my income uh, has been what's driven me all the way through this really and um, increasingly now my frustrating problem is not having enough energy to sort of capitalise on the situation Mm. that that creativity has created for me Um, but you know I'm waiting for tablets which happen in April hopefully and then I'm kind of hoping that I get that energy boost back but in the moment you know as I say it's um, I think there's nothing better than than being able to share your creativity with people and get instant feedback Mm. that world we live in now the publishing world of 20 years ago would be six months to a year of creating a book um, and then three months waiting for it to be printed yeah. and then whenever your publisher decided it was going to go in the market, it might be yeah, another yeah. three months yeah, after that. Very slow. And and then you get some audience feedback and yeah. reviews. Nowadays, you can create a story, a story, an image, put it out there, get some instant gratification and move on. Yeah. You know? And then maybe use it later in another way, which is the way I work. Yeah. So yeah, creativity is... Has it's definitely got me through the cancer process but also it is the thing it, constantly trying to be better at it is is the new anxiety yeah
3: yeah. yeah so it's a double edged sword yeah before we start i want to ask you about the umbrella <laughs> this
2: is great <laughs> there is a video of me on youtube um as the managing director of the umbrella company which um it's a lovely creative story. A friend of mine was running a competition for a vodka company called Odka. Okay. And they were looking for weird inventions for this competition and nobody online was entering this competition. Oh, okay. Because it involved somebody drawing pictures and, you know, a bit of work instead of just a click. And uh, he, so he asked me to put an entry in. And I, um, my, my wife and I, Debbie, uh, had been uh, up on... Um, uh, the top of I think Mamtor or somewhere, and she was caught short, needed a wee and I said, well, what we really need on this umbrella is sides so that I could cover you up because she 'd just go behind a little bush or something. yeah and uh, and then I could cover I could cover you up she didn 't have a problem with it, but i 'm thinking I could cover you up yeah, while you yeah. do that, and um, so I submitted this idea of an umbrella with roll down sides that became like a porter loop. <laughs> And then it won. And and then I ended up on the Alan Titchmarsh show with a mock-up that they'd made of this thing. And before that, this is about the avatars and the the falsity of social media. I thought, well, if I'm going to be on the Alan Titchmarsh show, I I ought to build a website and a Facebook page and and make it look like it's a real thing, basically. Um, And then the other thing was that Alan, after that clip, Alan Titchmarsh, he cut me off really quickly. And I think it was because I kept turning around to his audience, which was largely women of a certain age all of whom had been caught short somewhere at some point. (laughs) And I kept playing up to this audience going, you've all been caught short, haven't you, ladies? And I could just feel Titchmask going to me, you know what, that's my job. (laughs) Flirting with the old ladies? That's what I do, you're off. (laughs) So that was my moment of fame. But the best thing about that story was my mum texted me straight afterwards and went, now I know what you do. I went, no mum, I don't make... I'm close to pissing. <laughs> but for the first time in I'm really dream, proud of you. Buddy. She worked out what I do. Yeah. There you go.
3: Mike Dix, thank you so much for being on the Rack Podcast. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, no, it's been, it's great man. It's you.
2: been
1: brilliant. Thank you. Well, there you go. That was Mike Dix on the Blank Podcast. I have to admit, and I say this quite a lot, but genuinely one of my favourite conversations. And yeah. we, ha- we do seem we're so lucky with our guests and we have so many where we can and often do continue talking once the mics have stopped. But Mike was a very easy guy to talk to and a yes, really same. fascinating guy.
3: Yeah, he was lovely. Yeah, He's a lovely guy. I've got to know Mike over the last few years. Um, he very kindly came to a book launch I had a few years back and that's how we first met, really. And um, we were introduced via another friend on social media and yeah I've just got a lot of time for Mike he's just a really really good guy and and a really interesting and very um talented illustrator
1: yeah and you know someone who had this big traumatic thing in his life and it's it's brought him to this point of doing Mm. what he does and actually when you look at his work and you hear him talk about it you can't actually imagine him doing anything else no no kind of crazy that he's fallen into this thing and actually it's it's perfect for him
3: yeah, and it is. Yeah. And um and Mike was really open about that, you know, having cancer treatment and and how that sort of led him to sort of having a rethink about his life and and getting into the cartoons and 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 being talking about things he's passionate about, which obviously politics is a, is a big thing for him, so. Yeah. yeah so yeah, thanks fun. to Mike and um we appreciate your um honesty with us. So yeah, it's really
1: Absolutely. Good. Thank you. And thank you to our fans. Oh, it sounds weird <laughs> saying fans, <laughs> but I guess it kind of is in a way listeners, I guess. Um who keep tweeting us, and uh, we're very lucky to have so much correspondence, especially on Twitter, where our handle is at blank pod oh, seamless uh, and this one 's come from Dom Harrison who 's tweeted us saying, Hurrah! for early morning walks to work to the sound of blank Pod, the latest installment with the hilarious and apparently thoroughly lovely Rachel Paris I can get, yeah. I can confirm that she is is well worth an hour or so of your time well, thank you dom yeah, that 's a hilarious. very kind yeah. tweet. We really appreciate it, and you 're right, Rachel was a fantastic guest. If you haven't heard the episode yet, well worth going back. It's a couple of episode, uh, episodes ago and listening to that. Uh, so yeah, keep keep sending us your, your tweets. We love we love hearing them. Hearing them. We love
3: seeing them. And uh, I think you pretty much reply to all of them as well. Yeah, I try to. Yeah, well, I've actually got another one here which I'd like to read out from Alicia Street. And uh, she says, if you're looking for an encouraging podcast with nice, energetic people who talk about how they deal with difficult times in life, please give BlankPod a try so lovely really stuff lovely well, yeah, so thank it's you thank you,
1: yeah. you. Um, good we're also on Twitter uh, no we're not we're also on Instagram and Facebook which is the
3: same handle it is at blank pod so you can interact with us there if you're and please do actually because we really want to hear from you I mean, yeah. it's lovely to get your messages um, even if you don't like the, the podcast you can uh, <laughs> well, come yeah. and say hello and yeah. see if there's things we can improve we'll take
1: con- uh, constructive criticism all day long Mm. yeah definitely Um, and if you want to email us if you've got any stories you want to share with us or blank moments or just want to say hello uh, but longer than 280 characters you can email us at blankpodcast2018 at gmail.com that is the new email address because the old one stopped working Um, so that's it thank you very much for listening we'll be back next week with another guest on the Blank Podcast Charles have a great week and you Jim thank you thank you very much we'll see you again soon bye